Loudoun County is one of those places that with its winding roads and its viewscapes opening up before you as you drive along and explore, one road may lead you to take another risk and turn off on another. And before you know it, you're killing a lot of time with an exquisite pastoral pastiche that brings to you an appreciation of just what Loudoun is. One of the things striking about Loudoun is that there are almost 300 miles of back roads that are unpaved. Picture Western Loudoun without its historic gravel roads. See it instead with all paved asphalt roads, white lines, and speeding cars. Would it still be Loudoun County, the scene of so much American history, imagery, and action? Or would Loudoun look like, well, everywhere else? Its famous churches, villages, crossroads, and founding father estates blending into the suburban background like so many other tourist spots around Washington, D.C. That's how important Loudoun's rural roads are to all of Loudoun County. They are its identity. They are historically, symbolically, and aesthetically critical to the very soul of our county. So why are they so embattled? Why do county officials and the Virginia Department of Transportation keep trying to pave them? I'm Alexander Nance, Executive Director of the Virginia Piedmont Heritage Area Association, and that's what we are going to talk about today on this, our sixth episode of Piedmont Crossroads, The Pathway to Preservation. The topic, the forever battle to save Loudoun's rural roads. The pressure to pave is coming from developers, Loudoun residents with dirty cars, and local tourism promoters who want easier access to the wineries and breweries. The shrinkage has been gradual but pronounced, from 300 miles of gravel roads at the turn of the 21st century to 265 miles in the 2018 county plan. And the reductions continue slowly but surely. How does that happen? Every year, Loudoun gets a pot of state road improvement dollars to do with as it pleases. And every year, the County Board of Supervisors joins with the state's Department of Transportation in choosing to pave some roads rather than, quote, improve them, unquote. More and more, historic roads, such as Old Wheatland Road, suddenly find themselves scheduled for paving for no clear reason. It's hard to get an answer why. Protests begin. So what's needed? Today's podcast will try to answer that question by talking about the 10-year-long effort of a small group of dedicated citizens who have focused with astounding concentration and success on making Loudoun's rural roads a top priority of local preservationists. They've grabbed state and county officials by the lapels and made them listen. But this podcast won't be just about how to save roads. It will be a roadmap, forgive the pun, or shall we say a tutorial on how to save just anything worth saving. For that, we will look briefly at methods and processes of this team of citizens. Just how did they shake up the preservation community and slow roll those who would turn our roads into suburban byways? To get to this task, I'll begin at the end. On August 3rd, the VPHA, in conjunction with the Rural Roads Committee of the Loudoun Preservation and Conservation Coalition, is giving Virginia Department of Transportation an award for joining with the community in preserving our historic roads and bridges in Loudoun County. The award is both deserved and checks all the boxes of the team's requirement for how to win at preservation. Here's a summary of their list. One, encourage government at all levels, not just Loudoun County, be positive. Two, activate public relations and marketing at every opportunity, make it positive. Three, 
Be aware of the politics of a situation at all times. Negotiate a better outcome whenever possible. Four, remember the public's needs in terms of infrastructure, safety, and ease. And five, if one idea doesn't work, try something else. The award to VDOT is an example of how you win a preservation battle. Work with anyone who can help, even if they don't always seem helpful. For instance, it's not VDOT's mission to preserve the gravel roads. It's their job to make the roads drivable. They also realistically can't afford to pave everything, certainly not all at once. Now let's stop here for a quick aside. There are lots of numbers floating around about costs of maintenance versus paving. In reality, depending on the type of road, it costs between 1 million and 4 million per mile to pave a gravel road. That works out to be between a quarter of a billion and a billion dollars to pave all of Loudoun's roads. Right there is something for preservationists to work with. No one who wants to pave all of Loudoun is going to get their wish anytime soon. For instance, you will hear today from Emily Houston, person the Rural Roads team tasked with developing and maintaining a relationship with VDOT. She constantly pushes VDOT to maintain the roads in a way that makes them not only more drivable, but is also more economical for the taxpayers and more sustainable. She will talk to us about how proper maintenance is key to changing the way roads end up paved. A recommendation currently before the county's Heritage Commission is to urge VDOT to apply tried and true maintenance procedures to ensure the roads remain drivable despite rain, freeze, drought, and increased traffic volumes. If these procedures are followed, it logically will reduce the number of roads that are paved. Additionally, the Heritage Commission is recommending that a more systematic, transparent approach be adopted in selecting roads for improvement. Enlisting the Heritage Commission's help is the latest idea to come from the group. Changing tactics is a hallmark of the team, which also includes Jane Covington, Mitch Diamond, and Doug Graham. They each have their specialties and work individually, but also work together under the auspices of the Rural Roads Committee. Loudoun County Heritage Commission and America's Routes, a nonprofit which sponsors the annual Gravel Grinder Bicycle Event. Emily's specialty, as you heard, includes VDOT and the science and surface of the roads. She's also a writer and the founder of Wander Magazine. Jane brings state and national attention to the historical significance of our roads. Jane is an architectural conservationist and has dedicated the last 10 years of her practice to protecting Loudoun's architectural heritage. Mitch, former consultant, is always trying out new ideas. He tracks local politics and handles negotiations as needed. His latest idea is to get the county's park department to include the roads in the network of trails used by bikers and hikers. He believes including the roads in the county's trail system has double value. Increase the number of hiking and bike trails while adding yet another reason to keep the roads from being paved. Doug is responsible for an award-winning photography, graphics, and social media for America's Roots. The group won a local Emmy in 2020. Today, in addition to Emily, you will hear from Jane, as well as VPHA historian emeritus Rich Gillespie, and a valuable advocate of our rural roads. First up is Rich to give you an idea of why the rural roads are so critical to Loudoun's identity. Many remember the first time they laid eyes on Loudoun County. Perhaps it was one of the old towns or villages that they went through with the stone architecture or the intermittent log or brick. Perhaps it was on one of our beautiful byways, maybe even one of our major arteries like US 50 or US 15 winding down from Maryland. But for many people, what they remember most is when they got up their guts 
and turned off the main road onto a back road to go exploring. Or perhaps for people who arrived a little bit later, it might have been to go to a brewery or a winery. But for many, it was just sort of to go sightseeing, almost like in the old days when Grandpa loaded you up into the car to go on a Sunday afternoon drive and bring a picnic with you. And Loudoun County is one of those places that with its winding roads and its viewscapes opening up before you as you drive along and explore, one road may lead you to take another risk and turn off on another. And before you know it, you're killing a lot of time with an exquisite pastoral pastiche that brings to you an appreciation of just what Loudon is. One of the things striking about Loudoun is that there are almost 300 miles of back roads that are unpaved. That's actually a misnomer, as you will hear me speak about. They are all weather surface roads, actually. And that is something that has been developed over the years since 1933, 34, when VDOT took over the county roads in Virginia. But my question that I would like to tease you with is, how did we end up as the wealthiest county in the United States, Loudoun, a key piece of the Virginia Piedmont heritage area, and with 300 miles of roads that are what we call dirt roads, even if they are maintained by the Virginia Department of Transportation. So we're gonna step back a bit and ask when the first European settlers arrived in Loudoun County, what type of road system did they see and what did they establish? One of the things that the very first explorers from Europe could see is the vestiges of Native American populations. A road that is north-south in Loudoun, well-known to all, is U.S. Route 15, sometimes nicknamed the Old Carolina Road. This was a Native American road used to transit between the Carolinas and upstate New York, largely used by Iroquois. Another road that most people remark upon once they get beyond the zillion stoplights at the eastern end of Loudoun County, and the road opens up some, is U.S. Route 50, currently known as the John Mosby Highway, and in Loudoun it will be renamed back to its original name, the Little River Turnpike. But that road also was an Indian trail that connected the coastal habitations of Native Americans with those who lived beyond the Blue Ridge. And as well, what is today Route 7 was a lesser known but still extant trail. What did it look like? It would have been six to eight feet wide, somewhat trodden down, like what we would see in abandoned lane today, with a bramble now and again, something in the road, but enough people traveled it before European settlement that it was very obviously a major route, either east-west or north-south. When settlement came, beginning in the 1730s, starting up with the German settlement of north, northwestern Loudoun, and gradually adding into the Quaker settlements of central western Loudoun, 
and Tidewater English with their enslaved property moving up from Tidewater, Virginia, past the fall line and into eastern and southern Latin. Those folks came and their needs for roads were fairly succinct. They needed to be able to communicate commercially, politically with civilization. And that meant you needed to get either back towards the coast or you needed to be able to get from where you came. Many Loudoners originated, after they came from Europe, they originated in Pennsylvania. They will come into the port of Philadelphia and move down into Loudoun. They will need to be able to connect up to Fredericktown in what is now Frederick County, Maryland, and up as far as Philadelphia. Others need to be able to get down to little ports that we barely take note of today. Uh, there was a road that cut across Loudoun County from today's Bluemont all the way east of Aldi to a little port that they call Colchester. You'll still find it if you look on a map on the Potomac. But in other words, roads connected them to civilization. And as they gradually began to build churches, and that took about 20 years time uh, for people to get enough community to begin the community life that a church would signify. And then you need some sort of a lane to get from your farm to church. And of course, once we became a county in 1757, you need a way to access the county seat established at Leesburg in 1762. You'll see thereby that our major roads of today that are still important, east-west, north-south routes, such as Route 15, such as Route 50, or to the north of it, east-west Route 7. All of those have been around for quite a long time. In some cases, their Indian trails uh, begun to be built up a little bit more by those who came from Europe and settled. Prior to American independence in Virginia, roads that were crucial were maintained by the local parish. You paid taxes to the Church of England, but they also had a, a political and practical aspect to them beyond just running a church. They kept records, life-death records, they handled licenses, and they took care of roads. They literally would levy a fee on landowners uh, to be able to repair roads, and if you couldn't pay that, you were often put into a a road gang to go out and periodically get together. Just like people do today in April, picking up trash, you'd go out and corduroy a road, which means putting saplings over a big, big puddle or mud hole in a road so that people could get down the road. This became really important when Northern Virginia grew its first big city. And starting in 1748-49, Scots settle at Alexandria on the Potomac. And they turn that into a port overnight, and it becomes critical for Ladners to be able to get down there. Over time, we get our independence. America begins to think independently. And one of the things we're thinking about is improved commerce to improve the economy. And that means easier access to get down to a place like Alexandria, or perhaps it's competing port on the other side of the Potomac, upriver a little bit, Georgetown, Maryland, which will become Georgetown, D.C. Or ultimately, what will become the South's biggest port, Baltimore. And if we're going to build roads to those places, the new American Republic thinks about this just like Americans do today. We could either have the government do it, 
Or we could do it ourselves by establishing a corporation, selling stock, and then building those. And so those will become toll roads, like the Dulles Toll Road or the Greenway. Route 7 will become one about 18, 9, 10, 11. Route 50 will become one. It takes three different turnpikes to complete their circuit, but Little River Turnpike will run from Alexandria to Aldi. The Ashby's Gap Turnpike will run from Aldi to the Shenandoah River going through Ashby's Gap and the Blue Ridge. And then a final turnpike will cross the river, go through the little village of Millwood, and then on to Winchester. And finally, as canals and railroads become players, particularly the C&O Canal on the north bank of the Potomac, roads begin to be built to the canal. What about our small little lanes that went to a local farm or uh, from a farm to a local church? Well, one of the things that begins in the years, particularly in the 1820s and 30s, before the Civil War, you begin to see these little micro-villages pop up. The key to each one is that they have a store with a post office. Almost every one of them will also have a blacksmith shop. You can probably figure out in a state where horses are everything why that would be important. Um, so it would be a place to uh, have commerce, to connect with the outer world, to get mail, and, and that kind of a thing. And you'll see roads, not turnpikes, just roads gradually evolving towards these places. And if you look at an old map of Loudoun County, and this would be true at other places in the heritage area, Clark and Fauquier as well, you start to see these little tiny microbergs popping up. A few of them that come to mind, Snickersville, which is Bluemont today, or Union, which is Unison today, or Bloomfield, or Philemont, or Percival, or Hamilton Store, originally called Harmony. And you'll see roads connecting these, Lovettsville in the northern end of the county. And so roads begin to go from farms to these stores. And the bigger ones that get more successful eventually will try to get themselves on a turnpike. Philemont ended up on the Snickersville Pike that connected Alexandria by going northwesterly across the county all the way to Winchester. And you look at places like Aldi, a little mill village, but they had a store and a post office. They'll be connected to both Winchester and to Alexandria. Now the war comes. And when the war comes, our railroads are torn up. And any one of them that involves a bridge, it's going to be the bridges that will get burned. Why is that important? Because after the Civil War, everyone realizes that the South, in particular this section of Virginia, has been damaged by war. Roads, turnpikes, bridges, barns burned in the great burning raid that burned the Loudoun Valley at the end of November 1864. Mills being burned in that same burning raid by federal troops trying to burn out the gray ghost John Singleton Mosby. Fast forward into the 20th century. In the 19-teens and into the 20s, America birthed a thing called the Good Roads Movement. It was heavily backed by Woodrow Wilson's administration in the late teens and early 20s. And if you looked at America's roads at that point, some states were jumping ahead. New York, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts were jumping ahead. Virginia, if you look at pictures of our roads, even what today would be major roads like Route 50 or Route 7, just a travesty. The, the money wasn't there to do any repair, and people just dealt with it. They were not 
automobileable. You might say the American Automobile Association made the recommendation in 1922 to just avoid Virginia altogether. Then along comes the 1926 advent to the governorship in Richmond of Harry Flood Bird. And Harry Flood Bird, that Route 7 is named for today, became sort of the leader uh, as governor of Virginia getting into the good roads movement. The one thing is Virginia is nothing if not conservative. And he did not believe that bond issues for highway construction were the way to go. Instead, we should save funding each year towards it and then build it piecemeal as we had the money so we would not be in debt. This will make Virginia look very wise when we hit the Great Depression in 1929, three years later. But our road building will continue. And you're going to see roads that we know pretty well in Virginia. Uh, roads like Route 50, Route 60, Route 7, or Route 9. Those kinds of roads will be the main trunk roads that Harry Byrd will see built. It will particularly pick up speed in 1933-34 after his governorship when he's a U.S. senator. And they will be looking at that point of the state taking over all of the county roads. And that means that there is an opportunity for the first time to upgrade the small roads that make Loudoun County famous today. They came up with a thing that they call the all-weather surface rather than asphalt, rather than a tar road. Many of the smaller lesser trafficked roads could be essentially a gravel road, what we would have originally called a macadam road, but they will be maintained. We've invented by the 1930s, very much like we have today, road graders, and they look about the same as well. And those things can be maintained. and They will allow Virginians throughout the Commonwealth to easily access from farm to store or farm to county seat or farm to church. And we just get used to it. Anybody who's ever seen the Waltons always thought that that TV series showed a, a Virginia that it could never have been that pathetic by the 1930s. No, they showed the dirt roads just like they were in most of rural Virginia. At the same time, beginning in the early 20th century, we had wealthy people from the Victorian cities, particularly New Yorkers and Philadelphians, begin to eyeball Northern Virginia as marvelous fox hunt country. Honestly, you could do a fox hunt and chase the foxes from Westmoreland Davis's, he was into fox hunting, just northwest of Leesburg, all the way to the outskirts of Warrington. That's over 35 miles. You can imagine these people loved having dirt roads, which reminded them of 18th century England, where you see all these fox hunting prints come from. So they're going to be big advocates of maybe we shouldn't change those roads. This is a landscape as of 1950 or so that's changed hardly at all since 1850. So they're going to be advocates of keeping the dirt roads. One of the things that the movement of youth rebellion of the baby boom generation late 1960s was, they were kind of poo-pooing, putting their thumbs up to suburbia. And the idea of escaping to a rural area, a rural area with hundreds and hundreds of old log or stone homes set on a beautiful pastoral landscape or in small villages with 
dirt roads that are reasonably maintained by the state, but are dirt roads, it looks like anyone's view of the English countryside. So they come in in the late 60s and into the 70s, and they become, like their fox hunting brethren, major preservationists. And so by about 1980, we begin to see this number starting to circulate around. I remember distinctly during the bicentennial back in 1976-77, around central Loudoun Valley at Lincoln, they had a dirt roads tour and proudly trumpeted the dirt roads that they had because people are beginning to notice who are well-educated, realizing these aren't just crummy roads that make your car dirty. They are actually an asset. Many of them were the original stone walls, the original roots, ancient bridges. What an amazing asset it is. Today, massive suburbanization, the way we develop land has evolved in 50 years, and there are many people who are moving out here for the first time, not even realizing that they've really moved to a rural area. And so for them, having a dirt road can mean that they're SUV is constantly dusty. You'll notice that in almost every major town in Loudoun, we are, have a proliferation of car washes. But you eventually do become accustomed to it or you don't. And so now we have a struggle. Do we save a road network that somehow, through an odd uh, confluence of factors, has been saved for 200 plus years? And we have it. And it, it is an historic asset of Loudoun County. It is one of the reasons why the heritage area was created in 1995. And we trumpet preservation. It's interesting that sometimes preservation is a circumstance not of intent, but of factors coming together. Thank you, Rich. Next, we will hear from Emily Houston. She will talk about how the condition of Loudoun's roads is something personal for her, and how she became a member of the Rural Roads Committee, helped founded America's Roots, and joined the county's Heritage Commission to make sure the maintenance of Loudoun's roads is done well and paving is done for the right reasons. So how did you get involved in rural roads preservation? What was it that intrigued you about our region's rural roads? When I moved to Loudoun about 20 years ago, to a horse farm on an unpaved road, I was just blown away really by the fact that I was living on an unpaved road in this beautiful countryside that still seems so close to so much. You know, I used to say you could go fox hunting in the morning and the Kennedy Center in the evening, but it just, the roads gave me a sense of really being in a different place and being in the country. They appealed to me tremendously right from the beginning. The um, road we live on actually bisects our farm. So I like to say that I spend pretty much 24 hours a day sometimes within 100 feet of the road. And because of that, I really got to know the road and, and felt very kind of attached to it. I got to know the sounds. I could tell just by the sound, how fast a car was approaching. I was intrigued by watching how the road would change in different weather conditions. And then I started getting kind of curious about what this road actually was. What was it made of? What, when was it made? How was it made? And so that 
process kind of led me into into all of this effort to preserve them. The other factor is that being a horse person, the roads were a place to ride. And so when I also got involved in the Loudoun County Equine Alliance, that merged the interest in the, in the horse industry with the preservation of the roads. And what were some of the first things you learned about the fight to save them when you joined the Rural Roads Committee? One of the first things I learned and the thing that really motivated me right from the get-go was that it can be a very political process. The, the decision about paving a road can be very political. And the year that I joined, one particular road in Loudoun County had been slated for paving. And when I began looking more at that particular situation, I learned that a wealthy person who lives in a subdivision along that road had donated a huge amount of money to a politician at the state level who had gotten a state budget amendment to pave that road. And that really, frankly, made me angry. So it was a motivation to start really examining the process by which these choices are made, and also to look, start looking at ways that the roads could be improved so that people wouldn't want them paved, so that they could remain an aggregate surface and retain all their rural character without resorting to asphalt. Now, what are some of the technical reasons that maintenance of Loudoun's unpaved roads is so challenging? What makes Loudoun and Virginia in general different from other states? Well, one of the key technical aspects um, that we uncovered was the fact that VDOT has no material specification for the aggregate that's put on the roads. They, the aggregate that is used on the roads is specified in VDOT's manual of materials as a sub-base material and an ingredient in asphalt. It is not specified for use as a driving surface aggregate. So that's a very fundamental problem. The material being used on the roads is being used as a purpose for which it was not intended. So that leads to a lot of the failure of the roads. It leads to a lot of the potholing, the dust, and the runoff of the gravel into ditches and into waterways. So that's a very key fact and that that is something that we've been working to address. As far as what makes Loudoun's and Virginia's roads different from other states, I mean, first of all, in the case of Loudoun, we have a growing population. So in order to preserve these roads, we need to find a way to make them hold up to the traffic demands of the 21st century. The other thing that sets Virginia apart is that the ownership of the roads is is VDOT. VDOT owns the roads. The state owns the roads as compared with many states where localities have much more control over their local roads. And this goes back to the Bird Act of 1932, which gave the responsibility for operation and maintenance of local public roads to VDOT. Before that, they had been completely under the jurisdiction of the Board of Supervisors of each county. 
but now we have a situation where our Board of Supervisors does have some control in terms of allocating state funds for improvement of the unpaved roads. And now you've said before that unpaved roads are the orphans of Virginia's transportation system. Why is that? Well, they have in the past not been seen as something of value by the public and by our elected officials. And that's one of the things that we're working to change. I think they also are not something that BDOT has dedicated uh, a lot of resources to, frankly, um, because they're because they see them as the orphans of the transportation system. And I would say here in Northern Virginia in particular, transportation engineers are thrilled to come work here to build big flyovers and do big fancy transportation projects, mega projects, you know, widening Route 66 and all of that. They're, they don't really come here to uh, learn proper maintenance and grading of unpaved roads. So they they don't get the attention that they need. But this is also a, a national phenomenon too. People regard pavement as improvement and therefore they just, you know, the, the unpaved roads are not given the interest in correct maintenance that they might deserve. So the state owns all the roads in Virginia. Why then does the county get to choose which roads to pave every year? And can you explain how some of those decisions are made? Well, the state owns all the local roads. Obviously, they don't own the, the, the major interstates. But the funds that are used for, that are allocated by the state, they're called district grant funds, are the Board of Supervisors is given the authority to prioritize how that money is spent. And so there is, there is a partnership there between the state and the Board of Supervisors. And what happens is because the Board of Supervisors has that authority, people who make the most complaints to their supervisor about the road and petition their supervisor to have the road paved have a great amount of influence over the process. One of the things that we're really working on with VDOT is how to develop a much more scientific decision-making process for how a road is selected for paving if, if absolutely necessary or what other improvements might be helpful to, to get that road into a 21st century transportation system without resorting to paving. So that's been a long-term initiative and VDOT is now beginning to work on on looking at that issue. So we, we hope that we can make it a more, again, a more scientific, basically like a scoring system type of process rather than a complaint-driven and political process. Can you speak about the projects VDOT is working on related to unpaved roads and the role that the Rural Roads Committee has played in initiating those? Sure. As I said, they are beginning through the Virginia Transportation Research Council, which is VDOT's research arm and located at the University of Virginia. They are beginning to consider how to develop a, a, a true gravel roads management system. And that would also in, incorporate, hopefully, some 
scientific evaluations that would then lead to the ability to decide what improvements are necessary on a road. So that's a very important thing. And also part of that is the development of a driving surface aggregate. And both of these things were initiatives that, that really came out of the Rural Roads Committee. We've also been able to hopefully obtain a congressionally directed spending allocation of a million dollars that would be applied to the development of a driving surface aggregate for the entire state of Virginia. And that was an initiative that came out of the Rural Roads Committee and through some efforts of Delegate David Reed of Ashburn, we were able to get Senator Mark Warner to submit that request, and we will see if by the end of the year, perhaps, it is successful. VDOT is getting an award from VPHA and from the Rural Roads Committee. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we really appreciate the partnership that we feel that that we've developed with VDOT, and they have made an effort to work with us on developing a better surface material. They did an excellent drainage project on Old Waterford Road that demonstrated how a sloping, unpaved road with significant drainage issues could be repaired. And so we really want to show appreciation for the efforts that VDOT has made with these projects and for their willingness to continue to work with us on this. So the group's efforts over a decade are seeing some success. The National Register Project, recognition by local leaders of the need to protect the roads. What would you say are the reasons for that success? Persistence. That's really number one. I think also, you know, if one thing doesn't work, we we try something else. And just recognizing that VDOT is a, is a partner with us in this and that the issues are um, are are bigger than just Loudoun. They really are are statewide issues. But I think just persistence would be the number one reason we've succeeded at all. And what would you say to other groups as they try to work on preservation projects? Stick, Stick with it. It's amazing how long it can take. You, you hope that it will go faster. When we first started the test of some surface materials, We hoped that those would continue the next year. They didn't. We hoped they would continue the year after that. They didn't. The congressionally directed spending request is another example. It was submitted initially in 2022 and did not get approved. So we tried again this year, looked at ways to improve the application, and it seems like it may have a much better chance of succeeding. So... If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. It holds true, I think, with this. And finally, but also very importantly, what can listeners do to help? Well, first of all, they can look at our website, America's Roots, which is the nonprofit that we created to help create appreciation of the roads and also to do the National Register listing and can donate to that. The other thing is if there's ever an opportunity to communicate with your board of supervisor member about preserving an unpaved road, that is a very important aspect of this because typically the supervisors hear from 
the people who want their road paved. And most of the people who, in our experience, who want a road paved don't know that there are alternatives. And so that's part of our mission, really, is to educate political leaders and citizens about alternatives that still keep the road as an aggregate surface, but improve it to where it's something that we really can all live with. So it's a it's kind of coming to a compromise on that. So just being willing to step up and communicate with local politicians and to contact us with any questions. I'd love to talk about the roads to anybody. Thank you, Emily. Our next guest is Jane Covington, the go-to person in Loudoun when you want to get federal and state protection for a beloved historic building or location. Snickersville Turnpike is on the National Register of Historic Places because of Jane's work, and now she is working to get the network of Loudoun's rural roads named to the register. So why did you get involved with America's Roots Project and the Rural Roads Committee of the Coalition? You know, there are so many other boards and other projects. Why roads? Great question. In 2011, Mitch Diamond and I were exploring ways to protect all of Western Loudoun's 200,000 acres. This would have been the largest historic district east of the Mississippi and an enormous task. We were worried about facing backlash from property rights advocates who misunderstand implications of historic designation. We struggled with this idea for a few years and came up with the theory that if we protect the gravel road network, possibly we would protect more rural parts of Western Loudoun. Our biggest impediment, the condition of the roads. No one wants to protect a road that's not well maintained. So it's been a two-pronged approach, protect the historic roads and bring them into 21st century performance. Now, describe the process you've gone through to compile all that information. You need to get the road network named the National Register. It's, it's been a journey, but I've really enjoyed the process. Loudoun's archival records are in remarkable shape. Many of the road cases from the 19th century are cataloged and scanned, so relatively easily accessed. The same for Loudoun's deeds. So the archival information is all there. It's just a matter of reading and putting the pieces into place. And now, what will the historic designation do in terms of helping preserve these roads? There's already local historic designation on Southwest Loudoun's gravel roads. The Beaver Dam Historic Roadway District, adopted in 2002, initiated by forward-thinking Dodie Vare and Anna Dees and Bonnie Mattingly, allows neighbors to opt into a local zoning overlay to protect their side of the road. This program protects historic resources along the side of the road, such as walls, culverts, trees, and structures touching the road. The intent of the historic roadway district is interesting. In addition to preserving cultural resources, the intention is to maintain lower speeds and accommodate the wide variety of uses on the roadways. So yes, there's a small corner of Western London that's already protected under local ordinance. Using the State Landmarks Register and National Register of Historic Places adds another layer of protection and also widens the area of protection. National designation invokes Section 106, a program that invites the public 
to speak about impacts of public funds used for a project that would impact historic resources. A state has a similar program, and when, when state funds are used, designated to give the public a chance to weigh in. Now, maybe it's obvious uh, to us, but would you talk a little bit about why it's so important that we keep these roads the way they looked 100 or even 200 years ago? Well, first, we don't want to keep our roads the way they were 100 years ago. If we think our roads are bad now, they were miserable a century ago. Basically impassable, especially for the car. Don't forget, 100 years ago, Loudoun was still emerging from the Civil War when roads and bridges were destroyed, and Loudoun's economy was hit again with the Depression as they were emerging from the Civil War. The government was penniless and certainly not enough funding to improve the roads. So it really wasn't until the 1930s, even late 1930s, that the gravel roads had maintenance standards, bringing them up to a basic level of civility. But what we do want to do is bring what we love about our roads forward into the 21st century. More and more, everywhere looks like anywhere, but Loudoun looks like Loudoun. Our roads are unique, and they don't look like anywhere else. We know exactly where we are when we're driving down a gravel road. It's something that we don't want to lose. Once it's gone, it's gone. As well, if we lose our gravel roads, it's more than a sense of place that we lose. We lose our rural way of life, that less traffic and lower speed limits afford. We lose the ability to meet a neighbor, walk a dog, ride a horse, go for a fat tire bike ride, enjoy the rural quiet of Western Loudoun. When we lose our gravel roads, we lose our rural way of life. And when people say these roads are hard to drive on, what do you say in response? We're certainly working on the performance of gravel roads. There's no question that these roads need to improve in terms of safety and drivability. VDOT has been a great partner in our work. Their road maintenance teams are working with difficult weather and limited budgets, so really not an easy task. There's also local policy governing the roads that needs improvement. However, each classification of road has a different performance. For example, we don't have the same expectations of performance for a local winding road that we do for an interstate highway. There are different expectations of speed and experience. An interstate highway gets us there as fast as possible, but with the crush of speed and traffic, it's not the most pleasant experience. And the local winding road, bucolic views, stunning scenery, but we don't get there in a hurry. Sharp curves, blind spots, deer, squirrel, neighbors chattings with neighbors or someone walking their dog give us pause when we're on a winding road. We need to apply these same expectations of speed and experience to our gravel roads. Our gravel roads serve a different purpose. We need to frame the question in what we would lose if we paved the gravel roads, more cut through traffic, increased traffic volume, higher speeds. All of a sudden, we're moving people through the countryside rather than experiencing the countryside. Thank you, Jane. Jane's question is most important as we bring this episode of Piedmont Crossroads to a close. What do we lose if we pave these gravel roads? Not only do we lose a most critical feature of Loudoun, a key to its rural character, its horse and farm connection, its very history, but we also lose the ability for its citizens to walk, ride, and drive in peace and beauty, talk quietly with their neighbors, see the scenery, get slowly and safely where they are going. For most of Loudoun's residents, that's why they came to the county or stayed here generation after generation. Not everyone agrees. 
Developers and some politicians want the land. Newcomers, tourists, and even some longtime residents want quicker commutes, less holes, and no dust. There's a lot of pressure to build and pave, build and pave, build and pave. For many, there is simply the need to cash in, and that means asphalt. But for this small group of rural roads activists and their supporters, that simply will not do. That's why Jane, Emily, Mitch, Doug, Rich, and many others have been working for the past decade to save these roads by any and all means possible. So they cooperate with VDOT to find a road surface that works for everyone, is safe, sturdy, and economical. They negotiate road widths, maintenance methods, and bridge sizes. They praise their foes and make them their allies. That is Preservation 101, and it has worked. They work to get Loudoun's road network named to the National Register of Historic Places, joining New Mexico and Colorado with historic road networks. The months and years of work could pay off with the ability for citizens to have a say in major changes to that network. They learn that publicity matters, and they make the most of it, writing articles for local publications and eventually sponsoring a popular bicycle race on these roads. They create a documentary about the roads and win a local Emmy Award. That's Preservation 201. The hope is that fewer subdivision residents will request paved roads and more will support the work of the Rural Roads team. And then they keep going by working with government to create standards for roadways so paving them is not so subjective that just rich landowners get to make the decision. That is serious preservation work. And always, they make appeals to citizens for help and to get involved. We agree. Find more information about this podcast and preservation at piedmontheritage.org. And go to americasroots.com and loudoncoalition.org for more information about our rural roads. If you loved your unpaved roads, talk to your supervisors, whom you can find at loudon.gov. And thank you t- for joining us today at Piedmont Crossroads, The Path to Preservation.